First Corinthians chapter six, we're continuing a series called uh, Christianity Over Culture. And uh, what we're being reminded of in this series is that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, remember uh, what the scriptures teach us, the gospel or the good news is that Jesus came from heaven, all right, um, with the Father, came, to have, uh, came from heaven to earth and uh, took on a body through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Mary, who we know about, became pregnant with Jesus, gave birth to um, Jesus, who was all God and all man. And so he walked the earth among us and he went ultimately, as we know, uh, to the cross where he suffered and died. His blood was shed. His body was broken to pay for the sin of the world. And so the gospel is that by putting my faith and trust in Jesus, by believing that he is who he said he was, that he really is God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and that his death on the cross was payment for my sin, that he was buried in a tomb, that he rose again on the third day, when I put my trust in him, that, um, uh, that I moved from death to life, and that I'm, I'm saved, I'm rescued. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today um, in this chapter. Uh, the first 11 verses of chapter 6, we get a reminder that the Apostle Paul gives to this church in Corinth. Um, but we're in this series, we're reminded that to come to Jesus is to change completely who we are the way we live. That we are raised in a culture, the world around us, that teaches us a lot about how to live. And yet when we come to Jesus, we enter his culture. We're influenced by him and it changes everything. And so in this book, this letter written to a church that was probably started around 50 AD in the Hellenistic pagan Roman Empire, a bunch of uh, Jewish people and Greeks and Romans who didn't have uh, an idea of who God was really. The Jews did, but of course they had lost sight of who God was and they were living um, mostly by pagan principles. And Paul, the apostle, on his second missionary journey, after he leaves Athens, he gets to Corinth and he preaches the gospel. And it was crazy what happened. There was a lot of opposition. And yet there were many who believed. And this church was founded. And five years later on his third missionary journey from the city of Ephesus, another city that, um, that he started a church in, he writes this letter. And it looks like there was another letter that he wrote previous to 1 Corinthians, what we call 1 Corinthians but we don't have that letter. Um, it looked like there's some correspondence between Paul and this church, but it's a very young church and it's a very immature church. And so um, he deals with some basic issues, but it's helpful for us to be reminded of how we're to behave and what it means to be a Christian. We live in a world, again, that influences us, but we must be influenced more by Jesus. This week, our message, a big idea, has to do with disputes between believers. 1 Corinthians 6.1 says, If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Um, maybe you've heard this before. Uh, the idea and the question, should a Christian ever take another Christian to court? Should you ever end up in the secular court to try to resolve a dispute? 
And uh, certainly that's what's being dealt with in this passage. Should I ever even have a dispute with another Christian? I mean, we're called to unity. We're called to work together. Um, The reality is that we do have disputes. We get into disagreements. We have issues that we need to work through. And we need help sometimes working through them. Today we're going to be reminded that we should be gaining the skills, the character, to deal with them on our own. But at times we need help. And so what do we do? Um, This church was having these issues. They were getting into arguments, disputes, spats. And they were running to the secular court, which in the Roman Empire was overseen by judges and magistrates who did not know God, didn't fear God. Yet they were looking to them for help. One of the things that following Jesus does to us is it changes our, uh, by following Jesus, he changes our character. He changes who we are at the core, right? And so all of a sudden, we start to gain different characteristics, different traits in our personalities and in our, um, in our psyche and in our mind and how we relate to others changes. We start to gain some different skills, relational skills, if you will. And this will help us as we deal with others, as we deal with each other. Jesus teaches us by his example to be people who speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And so, of course, oftentimes our difficulty is to know the truth as it is presented in Scripture, the truth of God, because oftentimes we pull truth out of the world or we think it's truth, but it isn't. We get mixed up. And the other issue we have is being motivated by love. Oftentimes, as we get into disputes and disagreements, we're being motivated by offense and anger, right, and hurt. And so we want to follow Jesus' example. We want to learn to live like him, and we want this to permeate, and it will start to affect our relationships with each other. As Christians, we're required in this passage to handle, for the most part, our own disputes. Now, I want to set the tone here. What was happening was not like a a serious legal matter that they were uh, dealing with. Maybe it involves business or finance or property. Um, Issues that at times Christians do need some help with because the law uh, ends up dictating what we do. But these folks were running to the courts with petty disagreements and arguments. Personal issues. And they were running for help. They seemed to be poking at each other And Paul is extremely frustrated with their immature behavior. They should have been, even in the five years or so since he started the church, they should have grown in their faith. But remember, a couple of weeks ago as we looked at chapter 3, he calls them babies. He tells them that he's got to talk to them still as though they're not even Christians yet because they're not grabbing hold of and applying the truth to their lives. And of course, this is a reminder to us. That maturity in the faith as a Christian does not just come from Bible knowledge or knowing more about God or more about the Bible. It comes from applying it to our lives. And so we've got to wrestle with and grapple with what it means to apply the word of God, to begin to live it out. That's how the transformation occurs. It's why we have such an emphasis here on discipleship. 
We recognize that the church can, at times, just teach, 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 and not help all of us apply these things into our lives. It's a wrestle and a struggle to apply God's word to our lives. It's not easy. We can know what we should do. And maybe you've recognized this. You can know what's right, but of course, doing what's right is a lot more difficult. And so our discipleship process here is, is built around connecting you with other believers who are also working to grow, getting into relationships where there's accountability and there's encouragement, support, the things that are needed. The truth is that as followers of Jesus, we are part of Jesus' culture. And one of the things that we are called to handle are our own issues, our own disagreements. At the end of the day, we must be able to help each other get along. Let's read the verses 2 through 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says this, Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more are the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. Um, <clears throat> again, as followers of Jesus, we're to be growing in our ability to work things out, to work out disagreements, disputes, offenses, right, with other believers. We're to be growing in this. Um, <clears throat> if our lives are full of conflict, if it seems that we constantly have people that we're in disputes with and disagreements with and um, kind of fighting with, quarreling, then that's evidence that we're not growing at the rate we need to. We need to grow in our faith. Those are signs of immaturity. And certainly this church in Corinth, again, Paul says you guys are like your baby Christians, almost got to treat you like you're not even believers. You've come to Christ, but you're not living out your faith yet. You're not being transformed by the Holy Spirit. And so this is one of the areas that things show up in our lives. And so um, it can be a little difficult for us to grapple with that. A lot of times we think that everyone else has the problem, right? Everyone else has the problem. If, if, why is everybody picking on me? Why does everybody want to fight with me? <clears throat> and the truth is that oftentimes we need to stop for a minute, look in the mirror. We need to look in the scriptures. We need to allow God to speak into our lives. We, mean, we need to get into uh, a group, again, where there's some support and accountability and help so that we can grow, so that we can begin to gain maturity. <clears throat> our triggers and our offenses and the things that hurt us. See, the Bible teaches us how to deal with those things, how to handle them with the power of the Holy Spirit, how to respond. And here... Paul challenges this church by saying, you guys are going to be in charge. When Jesus returns, you're going to be in charge of judging the world. You're going to have to determine where someone spends eternity. You're going to be a part of judging people at a spiritual level, and yet you're fighting around and wrestling with these trivial disagreements, these petty arguments that you're having with each other. And so he challenges them, don't you know that you're going to judge 
um, the world at the end of time? Don't you know that you're going to judge angels regarding where they're going to spend eternity, right? Those that rebelled, those that didn't. You're going to make judgments on large spiritual matters. You must gain the, the <clears throat> spiritual maturity to handle disagreements and disputes of simple, petty, earthly things. He's calling them to a higher bar. I've heard this in my life when it comes to disputes with Christians, among Christians even, but also in the world. This is kind of a bit of human wisdom. When someone has a disagreement, two people get into a disagreement, um, we'll say to ourselves, well, there's this person's side, what they say happened, and there's this person's side, what, what they say happened, and somewhere in the middle is the truth, right? And so a lot of times making judgments about a dispute between people is listening to the two sides and trying to determine what really happened. Um, I would challenge you on that a little bit if that's the way you think about it. I'm not saying that's completely to be disregarded, but that is to me a pretty humanistic way of thinking about it. I think what we need to consider as followers of Jesus is there's this person's side of what happened, this person's side of what happened, and then in the middle is what God says we should do. Because God calls us to different behaviors. He calls us to a higher bar. Um, When someone offends me, hurts me, does something to bother me, how I handle it, in Scripture, I'm given a variety of different approaches. But one of the things I'm not allowed to do is remain offended and, and, and to walk in unforgiveness toward a person, right? And so as I handle disputes when I know that and I get into a disagreement, do you see how when I'm able to forgive the offense, not hold on to it, then I'm able to, um, I'm able to navigate, negotiate towards resolution, because I'm not caught in the uh, emotion and the anger and the hurt. That is what makes it so difficult. It's been said that in quarreling, the truth is always lost. Because when I get offended and hurt and upset by another's actions, all of a sudden my vision, my judgment is blurred. And I'm not able to accurately assess what happened. I have a tendency when I'm hurt to defend myself. My ego rises up. I have a tendency to want to fight, defend myself, not admit anything that I might have done wrong. All those things come into play. And those stop us from being able to work out issues between other believers. Jesus calls us to an elevated way of living. The bar is raised and we're called to grow in our maturity so that we handle things done to us differently. And then certainly with humility, we're able to resolve things, able to acknowledge what we've done, right? Where we've gone wrong or might have misstepped. Um, To be accused of doing something, to hurt someone else, is only a problem if I'm not walking in humility. If I'm walking in humility with an accurate view of myself, I know that it's very likely that I might do that. I'm very capable of that, right? And so I don't bother me uh, if, if that comes to light. I'm willing to acknowledge it and try to resolve it. We are raised in a world with a lot of human wisdom, street smarts, right? The ability to navigate things and get things to work. We know human nature and we work in accordance with it and we try to work things out and work with people in regards to that. And of course, Paul in this 
book challenges the Corinthians on their human wisdom. It's like, you guys think you're so smart. You think you can figure everything out. You know how to do stuff, but you need to change your approach and your view. Human wisdom will stop us from being able to live out what, um, what God is calling us to. It will slow us from maturing spiritually. Actually becomes an obstacle to us. In uh, chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, verses 18 through 20, moving back um, a couple of weeks, he says this to this church. So stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by this world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. In other words, you need to let go of what you think is wisdom and intelligence and smarts on how to deal with stuff. Verse 19, he says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snares of their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. He knows they are worthless. If we are to grow, to become the people God is calling us to be, to handle our relationships and our disagreements and our, our, um, our um, again, just the, the community that we're in, then we need to be growing in our understanding of the truth of God's word. We need to grow in our understanding and our ability to live it out, to apply it into our relationships and our, our situations. And he just says, uh, first step is you gotta put down your human wisdom. We've gotta be careful of that. Again, human wisdom will lead us astray. It'll cause us to continue to make the same mistakes and produce the same results, which in this church in Corinth was, we gotta run to a pagan court that doesn't know God, doesn't know his ways, so that he can mediate, they can mediate our disagreements. Um, shouldn't we be using spiritual truth to work things out with other believers? Shouldn't we be using spiritual principles, right? James chapter 4, we worked through the book of James the first part of this year. He reminds us of what the cause of most of our disputes and arguments are. James chapter 4, verses 1 through, C says, uh, 1 through 3 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. He is, uh, James there is challenging us with our real motivations and our real heart. What is it that we're working out of? Why do we do the things we do and why do we react the way we react to people? Why is it that we go after things? Why is it that we get upset? And why is it that we get into disputes? And he says so often, it's just because we're acting out of selfishness. We're living out of our sinful nature. We're still motivated by the wrong things. And we see this all over the place in our lives. Again, um, <clears throat> the truth is that a great deal of our problems with other people goes to deeper issues. We oftentimes see symptoms within, with, which end up in arguments or disagreements, quarreling with other people. But there are deeper issues always at play. And oftentimes we don't go to a, a deep enough level to figure out what's going on. The reality is we have sin issues oftentimes that remain in our lives, even as Christians. This church in Corinth had sin that they were living in. 
They were allowing it to exist in their lives. They were not moving away from their sinful behavior. They were continuing to walk in it. And so this affected their relationships with others. The truth is, one of the principles we see in Scripture is that bad character causes a lot of conflict. Bad character causes a lot of conflict. Let's continue reading in verses 7 through 10 of chapter 6. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. As followers of Jesus, the fact that you have these lawsuits, you have these disagreements that go to this level, you've already been defeated. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Why not just let it happen? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Again, he just points out to them the fact that they need to go to court to resolve these petty issues means they've already been defeated in their walk with Jesus. So often we um, acknowledge things that make us feel defeated. Why isn't my faith working? Why isn't this um, life that Jesus promised me, why am I not experiencing it? Why am I not getting that peace? Why am I not getting uh, that um, absence of anxiety and fear? What's going on? And we understand and recognize some of those internal battles. And, and in this case, what Paul is teaching them is the reason for it is they are patterning their lives after people that are not headed to heaven. He's like, you're following the patterns of the sinful world around you. You are doing what they do. You're going to them for help. You're pursuing the same process that the rest of the culture that you live in, you're just doing what they do. So you've been influenced by the culture and not enough by Jesus. And so he calls them again to that higher standard. He's embarrassed by their testimony. He's embarrassed by their behavior. See, Paul, when he planted these churches, he understood that they were illegal. They were, uh, there was nothing but opposition to them. Uh, The Jewish leaders hated the way, did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. Obviously, that's why they had put him to death, try to stop the movement. The Roman Empire did not recognize the way as a legal religion. It was illegal and therefore it was uh, um, under the surface and it was, it was a movement that work, was working against what they wanted to see happen or approved of. They were not for these kinds of things. And so the opposition to these churches was immense. They came under great persecution and attack. And yet the answer to their growth and to their impact was going to be dependent on whether or not these Believers were living and following Jesus, living for him and following him. Were they really being transformed? Paul knew that if they were to be transformed by Jesus, to live as the people of God in the world they they existed in, they would change everything. 
Ultimately, by the grace of God, that's what happened. But we can see it was not without a battle. It was not without a spiritual, um, without spiritual difficulty. And this church in Corinth was slow to grow. And part of it was they were, um, their character was not changing. And they were following the patterns of the world around them that continue to keep them in darkness. He says uh, these followers, or excuse me, he identifies these individuals in the world as wrongdoers. And he says, you're just living like them. He gives an example of people that fit into that category of wrongdoers. The sexually immoral, he says. And that, of course, would be perverse. Sexual perversion, which, of course, we see on the rise in our culture. A lot of people, uh, even within marriages, are looking to sexual perversion to grow their relationship, to enhance their marriage. And, of course, this is to pattern your life after those who are not headed to heaven. They're not headed to the kingdom of God. And so we don't want to follow their example. We don't want to pattern our lives after them. He uh, speaks to idolaters, which in this case, literally they were worshiping idols. They were worshiping idols because uh, their religion, paganism, involved that. In our world, that's on the rise, continues to grow in our culture and in our world, but um, not following the pattern of people who worship the world, the things of the world, right? Um, Romans 1 teaches about that, how um, human beings gave up a relationship with God and the worship of the one true God for the worship of things that were created by God. Adulterers, these are um, individual, adulterers just, uh, again, sexual activity outside of marriage. And we see how this is infiltrating our Christian uh, community, our young people who follow the pattern of the world. The world's wisdom is if you're gonna get married, if you're gonna have a relationship, you gotta make sure it works, you need to try it out. You need to live together for a while. You need to make sure that this is, uh, this is going to work. Well, that's the wisdom of the world. That's human wisdom. And of course, that doesn't lead to successful marriages. Um, end up counseling a lot of people who started that way and end up with problems down the road because that's what it causes. The world's wisdom, as Paul said earlier, is foolishness. We don't want to pattern our lives after people who are not headed into the kingdom of God. They're not going to inherit it because they're not living for God. They don't belong to him. Next, he addresses what we talked about last week a little bit, um, men who have sex with men. Um, Again, within the Roman Empire, we don't always know this, but um, the emperors, the first 14, I think it is, of uh, of the first 15, so 14 out of 15 of the first Roman Empire, Empire, emperors practiced homosexuality. Nero, who was the emperor when this was written, he married uh, another man. And so um, this practice was accepted and elevated and promoted. And of course, Paul says, listen, that kind of activity, that kind of lifestyle is lived by those who are not headed for the kingdom of God. So don't pattern your life after them. He goes on to talk about thieves, people who steal dishonest gain, the greedy, those who are covetous for things, get addicted to stuff and only want more of it. Drunkards or addiction would be um, really um, what's being covered there. Slanders, people that tear others down, and swindlers, those who are cheating and um, gaining out of um, really cheating people out of their finances. And so these are behavioral patterns. They're people that live in the world, again, that don't belong to God. They're not headed towards the kingdom of God. And he's simply saying to them, You are patterning your life after them, you're following their example. This is not going to lead you in the right direction. 
We need the same challenge. We live in a world and we get changed by it. We adapt to it. And pretty soon the wisdom of the world influences our thinking and we can start to handle our relationships this way. And Paul is simply challenging the church here that they need to grow their character. They need to grow in their maturity so that their conflict, their disputes will diminish. They'll drop if their character will grow. Sometimes we focus on the issues um, with a problem rather than the root of the problem. Sometimes we keep living in sin and we wonder why our lives continue to be filled with pain and suffering. In this passage, we are reminded of the patterns of behavior, again, that don't lead to righteousness. They don't lead to obedience to Jesus. This change in behavior will fill our lives with the things that Jesus offers We really do need to begin to say no to sin and yes to God. We need to move in our lives towards obedience to him in order to see the blessings that God wants to give us come into our lives. When we allow God to change us, when we allow him to change how we react to others, how we see others, how we respond, this begins to bring the peace that God wants us to have into our lives. We start to experience the reduction in anxiety, the reduction in depression and fear. We start to experience peace and grace that God wants to give us. Another way to say this is peace will increase as your faith grows. Peace will increase as your faith grows. Let's read the last verse in this passage, which is verse 11. And that is what some of you were. He's referring to those patterns of behavior. He's like, you guys, when I met you in Corinth, that's the way a lot of you were living. But you came to trust in Christ. You came out of that life. And so he reminds them of this process. He says, but you were washed. You were washed. Last week, we had some baptisms here um, at Mitchell Breen, some folks that got baptized. Pastor Luke, um, at his event last weekend, a lot of people got baptized. There's a washing and a cleansing that occurs when you come to Christ. And the behaviors of sin and the, the residue that gets uh, uh, clogged up in our souls and our spirits gets washed away. There's a cleansing that takes place. He reminds them, you were washed. And he says, you were sanctified. And sanctification means to be set apart. Set apart. You belong to God. Okay? When you're saved, you're sanctified. You belong to Jesus. You've been bought with a price. You belong to him. And so you begin to live differently because of that transformation. You're set apart for a holy purpose. Your life is not to be continued to live in the same patterns of behavior that you lived in before you came to Christ. There's to be change. You're called to a higher standard. And then he says you were justified. Justified, which means to be legally made right. And so you've been made right before God. Your entire existence, your identity has been changed. You've been washed clean from your sin. You've been set apart for a holy purpose. You belong to God now. And you've been made right before him. So that your slate is wiped clean. All the sin that was on your ledger that God was going to hold you accountable for at the end of times when the judgment comes, that sin has been paid for and washed away. It's clean. So then, he says, live differently. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There's a different standard that we're called to, a different way of living. 
There's so much instruction in the New Testament about how we get along with each other, what that change and transformation looks like. Really, ultimately, when we get into disputes, we get into disagreements, we get into arguments, there's typically an offense that occurs, feel like somebody has wronged us, harmed us, done something to hurt us. We respond in anger or offense, right? We get hurt, and then we want to resolve it. Sometimes we look for uh, justice, right, we call it. We want to see something made right. We want to see our way win out. Pride begins to fill us. Uh, our, Our ego rises up. Instead of walking the truth, again, we get defensive. We, we start to act as though it would be impossible for us to do something wrong. How could I ever do what I'm being accused of? No, no, no. That person, they're the ones that are in the wrong. And we start to take this way of thinking about it and dealing with it. And of course, this comes from our culture, comes from the world around us. Very, very typical. But the New Testament, again, the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, right? It's a different way to look at things. Our ego is to be um, pushed down. Uh, That's why things like this are said, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to, right? But see yourself honestly. And then don't just view yourself as the most important thing, but view others as even being more important than you so that you are empathetic. You care for others. Most of the conflict that I see in the world, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's with kids, uh, been through a lot of that myself, A lot of it is centered in pride and ego, a lack of humility, an unwillingness to acknowledge that I could be wrong, and offenses that go unforgiven over time. And these things build up. And this church in Corinth is just running around, poking each other, prodding each other, um, manipulating ego, uh, aggressiveness towards each other. And then offense occurs and they have a problem. They run into court to try to get it resolved. Very... Seems like very silly behavior, but we ourselves can get caught in these same patterns. Ephesians chapter 4 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Very practical in a lot of ways about how we are to be changed and transformed. In verse 23 of Ephesians 4, talking about a life that's corrupted by sin and lust and deception and lying. He says, instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit, along with the scriptures, to renew your thoughts and attitudes? Are you starting into each day saying, God, okay, I'm going to go into this day with a fresh slate. I'm going I'm to work to see my heart get softer, not harder. I'm not going to pick up offense as it occurs. I'm going to forgive quickly. And I'm going to resolve things quickly. And I'm going to move through life with an attempt to have your heart and your attitude towards others. Part of the reason that God requires us to forgive quickly, requires us to overlook offenses, he requires us to speak the truth in love and to really seek to um, look out even for what's uh, in the best interest of others and not just ourselves, is that that reflects a heart and an attitude that comes from him. Aren't you glad that God doesn't get petty with you? Aren't you glad that he doesn't get offended easily when you wrong, do the wrong thing, when you disobey him? Verse 25, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we're all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. 
practical ways in which we're to allow God to change our lives. We're to follow God's example. We're to work with each other. Work to um, change the ways in which we view each other. I think one of the things that's so hard for us in the church is we can at times be harsher with each other even than people in the world are with each other. And the world watches us. They, watches our, uh, they watch our lives. And they're looking to see if there's real transformation. This church in Corinth, Paul says, you guys are so embarrassing. You're running into uh, the, the culture around you is watching you. And you're acting just like them or even worse. You're so petty. Uh, you're so immature. Please, for the sake of the gospel and for yourselves, grow up. Transform the way you handle your disagreements. How you treat each other needs to grow. I think the church has struggled a lot with remembering who the true enemy is. Um, If you think that other believers are your enemy, if you think your spouse is your enemy, if you think your kids are your enemy, um, can I just tell you that you have lost sight of who the true enemy is? Bible tells us that we're not in a battle against flesh and blood, and yet often that's how we fight it. That's where we get focused. That's where we think the conflict is. But we're reminded and we're taught in Scripture that our battle is against spiritual powers and principalities, things that are unseen, forces that are at work to disrupt your life and your relationship with God, forces that are meant to discourage you and keep you from following Jesus. That's the real battle that you're in. The Bible says that there is a real devil, and he is really your enemy. Two battleships um, way back in the 1800s from the English Navy um, in, the, in that era. Two battleships met in the night. They began to attack each other. In the conflict, a number of crewmen were severely wounded. Both vessels were damaged. As daylight broke, the sailors on the ships discovered to their amazement that both vessels flew the English flag. They were on the same team. Darkness, confusion, it can cause us to lose sight of who the real enemy is and who is on our team. Many years earlier, just before the Battle of Trafalgar in 1805, the British naval hero Lord Nelson learned that an admiral and a captain in his fleet were not on good terms. Sending for the two men, he placed their hands uh, uh, together, of the admiral and the captain, he placed their hands together and he said, look, as he looked them both in the face. Look, out there is the enemy. Your enemy is not other believers. Your enemy isn't even people that live in this world and are lost and confused. Your real enemy is, um, appears as an angel of light. He speaks deception that comes with uh, sugar, sounds sweet, it's just a little off. It's not a complete bold-faced lie. It's just a little deception. If you listen to him and if you allow him to influence him, you'll end up off track. You will not grow and mature. And my call to us and the call of Paul to the church in Corinth is follow Jesus. Let your life be transformed by him. Don't continue to walk in darkness. Don't follow the patterns of the world around you. But follow Jesus. Let him elevate the way you live. It'll transform your entire life. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for calling us out of darkness into the light. 
I pray that you'd help us to live transparent lives, to live and walk and grow in humility, um, to have an ability to even think of what's best for others. Father, help us in our homes, in our marriages, to navigate the conflict and the hurt and the offense that we have and really walk in forgiveness and restoration. Help us as we uh, raise our children to be able to do the same. And help us, Father, to be examples in our world of people who can downplay conflict, who can help resolve it, not people who cause it. Father, help us to grow. Give us that character that we need so we can live more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.